Praise God. Thank you so much uh, to the team. Bless you as you take your seats. If you have a Bible tonight, I want you to turn with me uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to read from verse 20 in just a moment or two. You can be turning to that 1 Samuel 17. But it's really, really great to be here tonight. Um, it's really exciting to be along for the induction of Prince Harry. And uh, we still got that photograph up there somewhere. That's, uh, can we pull that back up again? Did you notice that photograph? Well, we may be getting it in a moment or two. Uh, it really is a privilege to be along tonight and to be sharing in this particular service. A lot, look at that. Striking resemblance. I, I, I don't know if you noticed, but there were, there were a lot of sort of different changes of image. I was thinking, you've got more image changes than Madonna has had <laughs> over her career. But it really is a privilege to be along tonight and to publicly say congratulations to Davy and coming into the ranks of MIT and all the process that lies ahead. And as Craig has said about the potential that you have seen in the church and we have seen in his life, and that's beginning to emerge in the ministry and the hand of God upon him and Kelsey. And we thank God for you and your faithfulness and all that you have done for him. Uh, we will be praying with Davy and Kelsey a little bit later on if Kelsey is still with them at that stage. I really thought you were going to blow it when you couldn't even remember the first date that you went on. But then you retrieved it really well, didn't he, folks? He really did. He got the dates. And then he even slipped into the wedding speech where he spoke about myself and my wife. And uh, he, really, he really did well, so no problem. Let's read God's Word together. 1 Samuel 17, a very, very... Um, well-known passage of scripture. Verse 20, and we're picking up the story of David and Goliath. The, the opening part of the chapter fills in how Goliath has been challenging the armies of Israel. And then we, we jump scene to the house of Jesse, David's father. And David's father sends him to find out about the battle and to take some provisions down to his three elder brothers who are fighting in the battle. So he's been instructed to do that. And it says in verse 20, David rose early in the morning and he left the sheep with a keeper and he took the things and he went as Jesse, his father, had commanded him. And he came to the camp of the, as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies that he had brought in the hand of the supply keeper and he ran to the army and he came and he greeted his brothers. And then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words, and David heard them. He challenged the army of Israel, and David heard him for the first time. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and they were dreadfully afraid. And so the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches and will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption in Israel. And then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner saying, so shall be done for the man who kills him. But now when Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence, the conceit of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, 
what have I done now? Is there not a cause? We just pick up just a couple more verses. David is taken from there. He meets the king. And in his dialogue with the king, eventually the king decides to allow him to go to represent the army of Israel. And verse 38, it says, So Saul, that was the king, clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. And he also clothed him with a coat of mail. And David fastened his sword to his armor, and he tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And then David said to Saul, I can't walk with these, for I have not tested them, never fought in them, never proved them. So David took them off. Then he took a staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. He put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had, and a sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And we know that God will bless the reading and the sharing of his word this evening. I've always been intrigued by the life of David. In spite of the failures that came later in David's life, which we know about, when you look into this life, you just can't help but be drawn to David, particularly the young man. The courage, the sincerity, the faith, the genuineness of this young man who came from keeping sheep to become a great leader in the nation of Israel. The songwriter got it right when they wrote these words and they said, where some may see a shepherd boy, God may see a king. Who can tell what the will or the purpose of God is for any life whenever he puts his hand upon a life and whenever we go his way? And as we read about this life, we find that David leaves a massive footprint, not just in the nation of Israel, Not just in the scriptures, the word of God, but believe it or not, even upon the worship of the 21st century church, this man's influence flows down through the centuries. I don't know if you've ever studied David through scripture, but when you compare him with all their leading figures and even some of the patriarchs, listen to this. Abraham got 14 chapters in scripture. Joseph got 14. Jacob got 11. The prophet Elijah gets 10. And David gets a staggering 66 chapters in the Bible. He wrote probably about 73 of 150 Psalms. His name's recorded 1,127 times in the Bible. 58 of those are in the New Testament, even though he lived 1,000 years before that. And Jesus the Savior, the one that we worship, when he came into this world, was born in the city of David, in the family line of David, and at least a dozen times in Scripture, Jesus, the Messiah, is referred to as the son of David. This man left a huge imprint on the nation of Israel as its king, upon the Scriptures that we read. And this story that we've read tonight, well, it's, it's well known. And isn't it amazing that 3,000 years after this event, this battle, this epic battle with this giant Goliath, 3,000 years after it took place, it's amazing, always amazing to me that people in the most secular of settings will very often talk about something being a David and Goliath situation. They know the concept. The shepherd boy has left behind a legacy that has gone down for thousands of years and is even known in the secular world of our day. And tonight, for a few minutes that we have, 
I want us to look not so much at this battle because everybody knows the story probably in this room. Everybody knows about the battle and what David did. But I want us to take just a few moments to look at the preparation for the battle and draw out something for all of our hearts and I trust for Pastor Davy this evening as well. If you read through these verses in this chapter, do you know that only 20% of 51 verses deal with the actual battle itself? But 80% of the verses deal with the run-up and the preparation for the battle. When the Holy Spirit does that in Scripture, God's trying to deliver a message to us. The battle is one thing, and we often focus upon the dramatic, the big event. But God's saying the preparation is much more important. The run-in is key, not just the battle itself. And I want to look at just a few very simple things tonight. Number one, how did young David find himself at the center of, of national life in this battle. How did he find himself on the battlefield that day? Think about that for a moment. Was it because that God spoke into his life and supernaturally revealed to young David out in the fields, you know there's a problem with the army and that you're going to go down there tomorrow, you're going to be at the center of the battle, I'm going to use you as a deliverer and you're going to be the hero of the hour. Did God supernaturally appear and reveal that to David? Or did he send, you know, two angels three days in a row to confirm all of those things to David? No, there was none of that whatsoever. You see, in our world, that's how we would like it to happen if it was us. And then we would tell the story of how God appeared and the angel came and confirmed and all of that stuff. But if you read the back story to this, David finds himself on the battlefield very, very simply... Because his father said, would you run an errand for me? It's as basic, it's as down to earth as that. David gets caught up in all of this stuff, but he's just before that doing mundane things. The stuff of everyday life. His introduction to the national stage came through the lowliest of tasks. It was running an errand. And I would want to say to this David tonight, don't be afraid of the lowly stuff. Don't be afraid of the ordinary stuff and whatever needs to be done for the glory of God. And I would remind all our hearts tonight, let's never get to the place where um, we feel that we're above any level of service. Or let's never get to the place where we think that anything is beneath us. Because you know what, folks? You can miss God when you get an attitude like that. Because God takes ordinary people from very ordinary situations. And you never know, um, you never know really what God is setting up. You never know what God may be about to do next. And that's the exciting part of the journey. And you can miss God if it's the wrong attitude. And I want you to notice young David's response to this. It says in verse 20, very simply, listen to this. He rose early. He made arrangements for the care of the flocks that he had that he was looking after. He took the supplies and he went as Jesse, his father, commanded. You don't get any better than that. You can't get an improvement upon that. He rose early, made arrangements for what he was already doing. He took the supplies and he went as Jesse commanded. 
He was obedient, he was prompt, he was responsible, he was enthusiastic. And here's the point. In this humble, simple obedience, David is on his way to greatness. He's on his way into, he had no idea that that was going to be an epic day, a pivotal day, an historic day for the nation of Israel. And that he's going to step right onto the national stage and something is going to happen which is going to lead to him being the future king of Israel. He had no idea about that. David, I want to say to you tonight, live a life of simple obedience to the Father and be faithful in the little things. And God will get you to the great stuff. He really will. And when I say a life of simple obedience to the Father, I'm not just talking about, you know, the things that God tells you to do prophetically, but what you get from his word. Live in the word of God and develop, as I know you've already done, but continue to live that life of simple obedience to how God instructs us in his word. So many people are searching for the revelation that will take them to some greatness and they've forsaken the daily living and obedience to the Father. And if we will do that and we will be faithful in the little things, God will get you to the greater things. And that's how David found himself on the battlefield. It was as simple as that. His father said, would you run an errand? And he went in obedience. And if we will live that way day to day, you'll never know what God will set up. I thank God for services and we encounter God's presence and, and all of that's tremendous and we should never neglect that. But I want to tell you, God's as much out there every day as he is whenever we meet together. And God's in the ordinary stuff. Would you ever think that possibly running an errand for something could be epic? It could be life-changing for you or for them, but that's the God that we serve. We never know what God may be arranging. And out there we need to be obedient to him and just letting God lead and direct us into whatever he has for us. It may come supernaturally with revelation, thank God when it does. But very often you stumble into the moving of the spirit of God and what God's doing. A few weeks ago I was standing in the shop, classic example, and I, I was waiting to be served. There was one lady in front of me and, and it was really strange because the guy... He went into the stores to get her apart for her washing machine. There's just her and I there. I'm just waiting for him to come back. Actually, I'm praying he'd hurry up to be truthful. But, you know, and out of the blue, we've had no conversation. This woman, she just turns around and she says to me, what do you do? And I, I started to talk to her, told her what I, what, what I did. And she turned out to be a raving atheist, like she really was. But the conversation, then I'm praying, Lord, don't let him find the part. This is good. Let's just take the moment and, and, and share it. You never know what God is setting up when we're in the way with him. Very quick story. A few years ago, I had, uh, I've had opportunity from time to time to go for Thompson Travel International and look at Christian tours and, and research some stuff for them in different parts of the world. We had opportunity to go a few years ago before the trouble in Syria and, and do uh, work in that area. It's just so interesting. Uh, and I found myself, uh, they phoned and asked me a few years back would I go to Turkey and look at uh, some things in the footsteps of Paul and the, um, the seven churches in the book of Revelation. So go take a look, come back, give a report, check out the guides that are there and various things. And I said to them, well, well, what does it entail? 
And they said, well, it entails four business class flights and three five-star hotels. And I said, look, let me pray about it. <laughs> okay, no problem, that's okay. Give me the dates, we're in. <laughs> and we, we're, we're in Turkey, and, and as will always happen, uh, we ended up in one of those places where they sell carpets and things like that. And the guy's given the spiel to us and some of the people who, were, who I was traveling with and some other people that were in there. And um, we had no notion of buying anything, but that's part of seeing that part of the world. And we came, to, um, we came to this one tapestry which was woven in silk, and he started to talk about it. He said it depicted Judgment Day. The day whenever we will stand before God. And uh, up to that point, I, I will be honestly confess, I was thinking, I wonder what tea, or I wonder what dinner is going to be like in this hotel. That was, my mind was full of that. I wasn't clued into it at all. But he was talking about Judgment Day, and on this tapestry, two pillars, two big pillars woven into this tapestry, and he said, on Judgment Day, when we stand before God, these two pillars represent the good works and the bad works. And on that day, he said, if the good outweighs the bad, he said, we will get into heaven. If the bad outweighs the good, we will not be spending eternity with God. And he was explaining Judgment Day, and those were his words, if the good outweighs the bad. So I'm standing there, not really clued in, just thinking, oh, many courses will be in this meal whenever we get to the hotel. But I got a wake-up call. And folks, you never know what God's setting up. As we're standing there, and he says this, and obviously someone had told him that I was a minister, and in the middle of this group, he looks across this little room, and he says, isn't that right, Pastor. And what he has just said is not right. And so in a moment, you're in a position. And I said, well, look, I know where you've come up with that. And I, I've heard what you're saying. But actually, I would want to say an awful lot more about Judgment Day. And about our good works and our bad works. And how this whole thing really works out in the end. And then, I, you know, I got the biggest shock of my life. He said, you know what, Pastor? He said, we would love to hear that. And so I said to him, okay, you finish your tour. We'll come back here and I'll speak. So we went and finished the tour. We came back and sure enough, he brought us back to the same place. Everybody's gathered. And he says, the pastor's going to talk to us about Judgment Day. And you just find yourself in this position. So I'm about to start and he stops me. And this is a guy, a Muslim guy, and he stops me and he says, no, no, just hold it a minute. He said, I would like to bring my workers in to hear what you have to say. And we paused and he brought in all these people that were weaving these tapestries into the room and he said, now, go ahead. And from nowhere, folks, I had the most amazing 10-minute opportunity to share with a room full of primarily Muslim people how it really works. And I said, you know, I don't know about you, but I know me and I know that when I get there, the bad that I have done will outweigh the good. And everybody agreed with me that they were in the same place. I said, if that's the case, when we stand before God, if the bad outweighs the good, then according to what this man has told us about Judgment Day, we have a big problem, folks. And they all agreed we had. And I got this opportunity to share about someone who stepped into this world and did something for us. And to explain how grace works 
and the love of God and the forgiveness of God. And all the time the Holy Spirit's saying to me, don't be afraid. Tell them the name. Tell them the name. Tell them the name. And I got the opportunity to share about the cross. And I said, there is one savior. His name is Jesus. And his grace, because of what he has completed on the cross, brings to us what we could never deserve. So that when we stand there on that day, even though I know that the bad will outweigh the good, but because of one who has stepped in and become my substitute, I know that through him, it has been blotted out forever. Hallelujah. And I had the glorious opportunity to share the gospel of God. You never know what God's setting up. I don't know how we got onto that, but... Davy, take the points. Don't follow my preaching habits, okay? But what I'm trying to say is this. Let's walk in fellowship with him and see where God leads and see what God can do. He is absolutely amazing. I want us then to, to simply move on and see a couple of other things. David was involved in the mundane, but God brought him into um, the miraculous, into something absolutely staggering on this occasion. And we find that David arrives down at the battle. Saul and the armies are paralyzed. Goliath's challenging them. Everyone is running for cover. And there's so much teaching that we could, we could bring out of that. But David hears this challenge against the people of God. This challenge that this Goliath has given to the armies of God and he sees Saul cringing in fear. And suddenly something happens in David. Something stirs in him and David realizes this should not be the case. And he starts to inquire from the people around about him, about the situation, what will happen for the person who defeats uh, this enemy of the people of God. All of this comes off the back of David being anointed by the prophet Samuel. It says in 1 Samuel 16, when the prophet anointed him, the spirit of God came upon him from that day forward. And David now finds himself in this place where the enemy is pressing against the kingdom of God. David is jolted into action. Something snaps as it were, something, someone stirs within him. And it's all because of the anointing of the spirit of God upon his life. I want to say to you tonight, Davy, as you go forward in ministry, spend time with God. Because you can't do this work and none of us can. It is way beyond us. And God says, it's not by might or power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And the Bible says, be being filled with the spirit. And as you continue to minister, spend time with God. Walk in obedience to him. Be faithful in the little things and spend time with him and the spirit of God will lead you and direct you. I want you to notice and we're going to pull this together quickly. The moment that David shows an interest in this battle, I want you to notice what happens and this is important. Verse 28. When David started to inquire about the possibility of doing something about this situation, it says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, it says he burned with anger at him. And he said, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your conceit, and I know that you're here, the deceit and the conceit of your heart, and you're here simply to watch the battle. What battle? You see, the problem was, Eliab, you're not doing any fighting. <laughs> there is no battle to watch. 
And it's not hard to detect the sarcasm and the demeaning tone with which Eliab spoke to David. And there was plenty to discourage David. Right just at this moment where the Spirit of God's leading him, God has his hand upon him, so many things are coming into place and then suddenly this discouragement that comes. Who was Eliab? Well, we've said already, David's oldest brother. Think about it. This is the one that Jesse brought in and stood before Samuel first of all and said, Samuel, surely this son's going to be the king. And Samuel goes, no, not him, next. Works his way right down to David who's had to be brought in from the fields. And Eliab is passed by and the younger brother. And how many people know that Eliab never processed that? He never dealt with it. And now whenever David's about to come to the fore, his anger comes up within him and he goes against David. Look what David does. In verse 22 and 23, he says, what have I done? What have I done this time, Eliab? What have I done this time around? Sorry, not verse 22 and 23. Verse 29, he says, what have I done this time? Is there not a cause? And David stirred by the spirit, but then it says David immediately turned from Eliab and he just went on with his business asking the same question from other people. It's almost as if David dismisses him. He just, he says, is there not a cause? Should somebody not be doing something, Eliab? And then he turns from him and he moves on and he speaks to other people. And I want to say this. If David had been distracted that day by his brother, if he'd got involved that day in this personal thing between him and his brother, he would have been sidetracked. And I tell you, Goliath would never, ever have been defeated that day. But what clarity was on his mind? The third thing I would say to you tonight, Davey, is always keep the main thing the main thing. Do not get distracted. And do not allow the enemy to sidetrack you from the call of God on your life and what he has given you to do. Don't get diverted off course by unspiritual people with unresolved issues or anything else. You just keep your focus on God. Lord, you've called me. Now what's the next step? David knew which battles to fight. And so he didn't get diverted and Goliath was defeated and David won a great victory. Finally, and we're going to close with this. See, David won a victory there even before he defeated the giant. Isn't that true? A real key thing. And if he hadn't, Goliath would never ever have been defeated. And he won another victory a few minutes later. And there's a great lesson that I want to leave with us. And then we're going to pray with David and Kelsey and close off our service. Whenever it's in this story, when it's told to the king about this young man and what he's saying, David eventually finds himself in Saul's tent. And he finds himself in a position where he convinces the king to allow him to go and be the champion for Israel. If you think about what's at stake, if, if David gets defeated, Israel are going to serve the Philistines. This is a big shout. It's a big call. And David convinces the king to allow him to go and be the representative. 
The Bible tells us there's a whole story. Well, if we read the story, there's a whole thing in there about David's past experiences and what he's learned, and he draws upon that for the current situation. But then, whenever the king accepts that he's going to go and be the representative, it says the king puts his armor on him, and he's going to send them out to the battle. And David puts it on. And then I love the way the Bible says, and he tried to walk. <laughs> there's something in that. I'd love to have seen that. He tried to walk and he realizes there's no way. There, there, there's no way I can, I can do this. There's no way I can handle this. David takes it off and then he goes with a sling that he knows and the stones. And what I would say to you tonight, David, is as you go forward in ministry, be yourself. That doesn't mean that you don't learn from others, we don't glean, we don't submit things or ask advice, none of that. But in essence, be yourself and walk in your own anointing. And you don't have to be, and I know you've got enough experience already to know that you don't need to try to be anybody else because while you're trying to be somebody else, who's being you? That's the big thing. And it's so like that in the kingdom of God. So many believers trying or wishing to be somebody else. But while you're wishing you were somebody else, who is being you? Because God wants to use you with your personality, who you are in his own unique way. Be yourself and walk in your own anointing. And I know that you've already developed that style. I, I, I know that you're very much your own man and yourself. And we can submit to others, we can glean from others. But that essential part of us, who we are, let God shape that and use you. This last little thought. David says, or Saul says to David, go in my armor. And this is probably, perhaps, one of the most important points of all. What a temptation that moment must have been for David. Do you think about this? What could have been greater that day than stepping out from the king's tent in front of the whole of the army of Israel, dressed in the king's armor as the king's champion? Like that's a great opportunity for platform right there, isn't it? Now here's my devious mind. What could have been greater than to step out of the king's tent and the king's armor as a king's champion before Eliab, your brother, who doesn't even want you to be there and be involved? What a chance to step out in the armor of the king and go, all right, Eliab, we're just going down here to deal with Goliath and all the rest. Yet here's the point. David knew this wasn't him. David knew that would never ever work and here's the point even though David was still a young man he knew better and I believe he knew better for this reason I believe he had already mastered his own heart somewhere internally David realized this wasn't really about him it wasn't about him being seen or his profile this was about God and the kingdom of God and for the glory of God. It wasn't about making a show. It was about getting the job done in the power of God for the glory of God. And he was true to himself. And the last thing I would say to you this evening, David, is this. Keep your heart with all diligence. Craig touched on it. The motives, the motivation for ministry. Yeah, we're all human and there are so many things, but always resist the temptation 
to take center stage. Never ever forget that Jesus is center stage. And it's all about him. And you see, if David had fallen foul of that right there, he never would have defeated Goliath. But David had already done some work on his own heart. And he knew his place. And what I would say to you tonight, Pastor David, is that if you deal with the giants that are in there, and we all have them, folks, the biggest obstacle to our moving forward in God, it's us. But if you will deal with the giants that are in there, I tell you, God will allow you to step on the heads of giants that are right there. But you've got to do that, and you've got to keep your heart in the right place. We've rushed through some stuff tonight, but I trust there's some instruction for you there going forward in this season of ministry and something to stir our hearts that we serve a great God tonight. And he said, I will build my church. And that's not just the ministry of professionals on the platform. Their role is to train up the saints for works of ministry and send them out, bring them together Oh, here we go again. Out at the back of our house, we've got sheep in the field out behind, about 150 sheep. And do you know what they do? When, when it goes dark at night and the lights are on in our house, they gather up behind the trees. I said to the farmer, why do they do that? He said, they see the light. They gather for security. But whenever the morning comes, I tell you, they begin to disperse and they go out into the field. And we gather in a building like this and we gather and we huddle together and we worship God and we're ministered to and there's security and we're filled. But the purpose of that is so that we would scatter out into the field and that we'd be in the way with God. We would see what God would set up and how God would use us and what God would do. Are you up for that adventure? No matter what age we may be, no matter... What we may think our limitations are, I tell you, God wants to take us and use us for his honor and for his glory. It's a privilege to be here tonight. It's a privilege to be in this induction service. And I'm going to ask Davy and Kelsey, Pastor David and Kelsey, his wife, to come and stand with us here on the platform right now. I'm going to ask you to stand with us. And we're going to pray and lay hands on them. And I'm going to ask some people to join us. The church session and Pip I'm going to ask to join us. Uh, any other Elam pastors that are here tonight? Craig's here. If there are any other pastors, Elam pastors in the room, I want you to come right now and join us. Come quick, folks. Christmas is coming. Let's get going. Okay. And we're going to pray and we're going to lay hands upon this couple and just ask God's blessing upon them again. We thank God, don't we, for what they've already achieved in the kingdom. We thank God for how God has used them in the past, but we believe that even greater things lie ahead. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to pray and everybody spectate and close your eyes, okay? Because this is not about watching us pray for someone. I want you right now to begin to engage with God. Come on, let's lift our voices and you're going to ask your blessing upon this couple who have been in service in this church already, but they're just stepping into a new phase, a new experience as David has been given that credential and moves into a period of minister and training. And I want you to pray right now and ask for your blessing, God's blessing to be upon them as a couple. Let's lift our voices. Thank you, Lord. Praise your wonderful name. Lord, we bless you and we thank you for your presence in these moments. Lord, we thank you that 
you are here, Lord, as we gather before your throne. Lord Jesus, we honor you. Lord, we give you your rightful place in this gathering. And Lord, right now we lay hands upon this couple, oh God. Lord, I thank you for them. I thank you for your grace and your salvation in their lives, oh God. We thank you that you have drawn them onto yourself. Lord, we thank you for how you've already used them, the ministry, Lord, that you have given to them, O oh God. We thank you, Lord, that you have blessed them and made them a blessing in the past, Lord, the potential that we heard about earlier that has already begun to show itself as more than just latent potential. Oh, Lord, we thank you that there's a, a dynamic aspect of that that has already begun to outwork itself from these lives. And Lord, right now we lay hands upon your servant, David, and oh God, we induct him, Lord, as a pastor in Dundonald Elam Church. And right now, oh God, we pray for a fresh anointing of the Spirit of God upon his life. Lord, like the David we read of in Scripture tonight, that Lord, the Spirit of God would come upon him afresh and anew, even from this evening forward, Lord. We pray, oh God, that that gifting and calling that you have placed within, that you would strengthen it. And Lord, you would bring a new assurance of that call, a new, Lord, godly, humble, yet bold approach, Lord, to the ground that David's standing on, that he would know himself in you and know that your hand and your call is upon him in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would gift him with all wisdom and all knowledge that he needs. That, Lord, in this season, Lord, you will add to the call and the gifting that's already there, Lord, experience, yeah. the experience of working with people, Lord, of enlarging his ministry, of moving out and moving forward from that. Lord, be on to him all that he needs. Yeah. And Lord, may what we have seen already just be, Lord, a little percentage of what you will do through this life for your honor and for your glory. Lord, bless Kelsey, Lord, as she ministers and works alongside her husband. And Lord, right now we lift them to you as a couple and we pray your blessing upon this marriage. Lord, we pray a hedge around about them, O oh God, and your hand upon them that, Lord, they will enjoy life together, that they'll grow, Lord, in their commitment and their love for one another and that, Lord, they will grow in their commitment and their service for you. And Lord, we lift them before you and ask them that you would crown their lives, their home, their ministry and everything that they put their hand to. Yes, with the blessing of God. Yes, yes. Your unique blessing, Lord, that gives them that age, Jesus. that makes them effective, O oh God. Jesus. The blessing of God that makes rich and adds no sorrow mm. in Jesus' mighty name. And we all said, Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Let's give them a big clap.